Have you ever seen your life flash before your very own eyes? Well, if you've woken up and your world has changed overnight, you're going to need the next half an hour with your favourite brew in your hand to sit back and listen to our next guest, who is going to be making conversations about speaking count. I'm delighted to have professional speaker Steve Judge, triple para-Olympian, join us on today's episode. What a wonderful surprise last week when I opened my inbox to find a review from someone I don't know. So thank you to Inner State Agent for the wonderful words that really have given me great encouragement that I am reaching listeners that I don't know personally. If I knew where you lived, I could have just dropped onto your doorstep and had an embarrassing moment with you. But thank you for leaving me in a state of absolute bliss last week. I'd like to give you all a huge thank you for listening to the show by sending me reviews, by hitting the follow or subscribe button on all the channels means that the show is showing up in the charts, which is a fantastic feeling. And just a little bit of a teaser for you. My own pivotal conversation will be hitting the episodes very, very soon. I have a guest host and everything and I share all. Without further ado, let's introduce Steve Judge. Steve, please introduce yourself. Hi, Wendy. International motivational speaker, best-selling author, coach, as in transformational coach and speaker coach. And I also run workshops. And that's a little bit about me. More about me is in my journey, but that's an introduction of to who I am. In actual fact, Steve, I think the listeners will probably agree with me that there are lots of motivational speakers. There's lots of coaches. However, it's how you got to do that that makes you that motivational speaker and that coach that you are today. So that journey is what has, I suppose, formulated the life that you lead now. Do you know what? Anybody can say that they're a speaker and some people do. And uh, because anybody can speak. Now, if you've got the confidence to stand up on the stage or do it virtually, then people go, wow, you know, you're a speaker. It's not about that, though. It's about there's so much to speaking. To be called a professional speaker is very different than a speaker. And I'm kind of going around, around about the table here because it's very strange. There is no certificate that you can get that says you are a qualified speaker. And this is what I've learned over the, the years, really. When I first became a speaker, I was working with the Scout Media team. That contract finished. And they said, Steve, what are you going to do now? And I said, it's kind of like a super, in a Superman pose, hands on hips, looking to the future, going, I'm going to be a motivational speaker. And they're like, wow, that's awesome, Steve. How are you going to do that? And I replied, I haven't got a clue. I have no idea. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But by that stage, through my journey, through my life, I'd learned that if I wanted something enough, I'd make it happen. I'd find a way of doing it. And one of the first things I did was I went to the Professional Speaking Association. It's called the PSA. I went there, face-to-face meeting, and 
the best thing there was you enter a room full of other speakers because it is a very strange job and to, to be in a room some people have made it some people are, are just starting out you've got all levels of experience and knowledge but they're all in one room so meeting them shaking the hand talking to them was amazing and they said Steve would love you to join us in your first year if you decide to join you can enter a competition a speaking competition. I was like, tell me more, because I'm, I'm quite competitive, as yeah, you'll find out too. later on. And then they said, okay, Steve, if you enter this competition, you, you stand up, you talk for five minutes, no PowerPoint or anything. At the end of it, you will be judged by the speakers in the room on your performance, your stage performance, your memorability, your messages, uh, stagecraft, etc." And I said, wow, that sounds a nightmare. I said, count me in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I just want to get it out how yeah. it comes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it's all about communication. It's about getting it across the right way. And said, if you win in the region, you go through to the semi finals representing the region. And if you get through the semi finals, you will end up on the stage of the conference at the end of the year in front of 300 of the top speakers in the UK. And I said, that's where I want to be. I said I wanted to be a speaker. I guess that's where I need to be. I want to be on that stage at the end of this year in front of those speakers. So that, I said yes, and I joined the PSA, and I obviously rehearsed and practiced and ready to perform in front of my peers. And I did perform, did my five minutes. Five minutes is very, very difficult because you're timed. As in, if you run over time, you lose points. So you're constantly thinking, oh my goodness, I, and you can't just speak for three minutes because then you're not using it fully. So it's all going to be rehearsed and time. Anyway, I did the thing uh, and I didn't win. I didn't get through and I was absolutely gutted. But loads of the people came up to me, the speakers, and said, Steve, you've got an amazing story. You've obviously got the confidence, but you're not clinical. You're not polished. You don't know the takeaways or the stagecraft or anything like this. And they gave me loads of feedback and I took that feedback on board and it was so vital because at that time I could then go to another region and I could perform there, which is what I did. I went up to the Northeast after taking on the feedback, changing my speech, rehearsing absolute loads, went there, competed and I won and I got through. But I still had people coming up to me and said, Steve, brilliant, but have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? You could do this, you could do that. And I said, tell me more, tell me more. I need this feedback. I need to take it on board. I need to be a better communicator so that I can get my messages out there. And so I took it on board, rehearsed, went to the semi-finals. Now I'm competing against 10 other regions throughout the UK, competed, and I got through to the final stage. Uh, and to stand on that stage in my first year in front of 300 top speakers was amazing. Very, very nerve-wracking. I almost felt sick going onto the stage, but I did it. And I didn't win the whole event, but that was not my goal. My goal was to get onto that stage, to be seen, to be known. And I still have people coming up to me and say, Steve, I remember you back in 2016 when you stood on the stage. And I said, good, that was what I wanted to do. Now, since then, I've progressed more, obviously taking on feedback all the time. And last year, I was actually the president of the, the Professional Speaking Association in Yorkshire and had a blinding year. It was amazing. Got loads of newcomers. And my commitment is very much to help other people. So, because I believe that every single person has got a story inside them. And if they want to share that story to help others, then I want to help them in the best way to do that. With highs, with lows, with entertainment, with comedy, with uh, memorability, with props. 
there's so many techniques that you can use and I know what those are now. So I want to share those with others. So as a speaker coach and workshops, that's what I'm doing. That's one of the roles that I do. And I absolutely love it. And then that is very much about communicating to the wider community about the knowledge and the expertise that you have got again, so you can help other people. So it's vital. come full circle then in lots yeah. of ways. When you go to like the PSA, like you did, you surrounded yourself with the right kind of constructive criticism as well. So that's really important, isn't it? To be around the people that you aspire to be like. Yeah, yeah. You end up being an average of the five people you spend most of your time with. So make sure those people are the people that you want to be. You've got to put a mix in. So you've got to make sure that you can mentor some people, but you also you're inspired by others. So by going there, there's a lot of people that were able to help me. Don't get me wrong, I'd spoken before then, but all the feedback was, Steve, you're amazing. Steve, what a fantastic journey. Steve, you're so confident standing on the stage. It was all positive. You know, my mum, my family, my friends, everybody in the audience. And so you think that you're, you're really good. That feedback was from the wrong people. Okay, the audience is very important, but it's only when you get feedback from professionals who know what they're talking about that's when you're going to get the right feedback. And that is nerve wracking. That is out your comfort zone. It's taking that feedback as well, isn't it? From pride, because these people know you and know your journey and see the leaps and bounds that you've made to get there, you know, and friends and family will always give that support, won't they? You know, they're the cheerleaders in the back, but it's taking that feedback from that was great. You've got such confidence to that was brilliant because, and it's that hook. What was it brilliant for? Why did I hang my hat on it? And that storytelling that will be passed on. I think that's the most important part about storytelling is why we love so many of the fairy tales you know is because there is a structure to what's happened in that journey that we follow absolutely Wendy. and that's one of the reasons why i'm here on the podcast is because somebody heard me speak two years ago absolutely and, and yes. clearly it was very memorable which is the whole point and she suggested me to you and now we're speaking so it's working what i'm doing is working if you follow the process you'll get to where you want to be and to be on that stage when you visualize something i think visualization is a, a very powerful tool as well isn't it absolutely i've used it throughout my journey when i was going through rehabilitation as an elite athlete and now in my job as a professional speaker i do visualization every single morning it's part of my routine visualizing what I want to achieve. Now that could be the day, the week, the month, the year, the five years, but I always visualize until I smile and then I open my eyes and then I get on with my day. But that is very important to me. I have a vision board and I have certain things that help me to remind myself to always have a vision and to seize opportunities. And it's so important. a quick look at your bio because I try not to be too presumptive about my guests. Some of my guests I know, some I don't. And I was really quite sort of taken aback by your journey, really, in terms of that sentence in your bio that says at 28 that you had a devastating car accident. Now, you touched on just before you were a professional athlete. What sport were you in? So before the accident, I wasn't an athlete at all. I was, I mean, when I left school, I used to work down the coal pits of Yorkshire. Get away. Um, now I really, <laughs> I know, it usually catches a few people out. So yeah, I left school. I worked down the coal pits of Yorkshire. I realized that that wasn't my goal to be there. I took myself to night class and to college and I trained as a mechanical engineer. So I was being given problems and finding solutions. That's what I loved. Eventually the, the pits closed down. I moved on to other jobs. I was working construction as a health and safety inspector for, for nine years. 
I mean, I did sports. I loved running. Running was my passion. I'd run everywhere and anywhere. I was good at it, you know, but I was nowhere near elite. I wasn't doing it for that. I was doing it for PBs, personal bests, always personal bests, pushing myself all the time and keeping fit and healthy and just being in a local running club. But that was my passion. But things changed. This car accident happened in 2002. Without sort of giving your story away too much, but you had to learn to walk and to talk again. So I have a burning question, and this is just me being very, very curious. Once you get to know me a bit better, you'll realise why. So if you've got to learn to talk again, you clearly... Your roots are in Yorkshire, yet you don't have a Yorkshire accent. So have you kind of retrained yourself out of that? No, I mean, not necessarily well, uh, talk again. It's mainly just the walking and standing and walking again. But my accent, you're absolutely right. So I was born in Hertfordshire and I moved up to Yorkshire when I was about nine years old. So I've lived up in Yorkshire the majority of my life. But they say that you never lose an accent if you're proud of where you come from. So that's why you can hear the Irish all over the world because they're very proud of where they come from. They never lose an accent. But you also, it's true. You also find that some Northern people might move down to London to get a job and lose their accent because they want to blend in or they just feel it's, it's necessary. You can lose an accent. And I have lost my Southern accent at times, but it's always come back. And I think it's now very much part of me is my uniqueness. But yes, it, it kind of, I probably lost it when I was working down the coal pits. It didn't kind of blend in too well, speaking with a, a posh accent. Posh, it's not a special with posh, it's southern accent, but it does come across as posh. I think you've got a lovely speaking voice and I think that really does help when it comes to listening to people's stories. You know, if you've got somebody that's nasally and whiny, you're going to just turn off a little bit, aren't you? It is so important. And I think you can find these people when you go abroad, you know, some people, they just carry on talking as they normally would to you know the people in the country the, the foreigners as we would call them i don't i immediately slow down i immediately pronounce my words better i don't shout <laughs> which is a typical thing and where possible i use you know a few of their words in, in in the country but that's because i want to be able to communicate with them i'm thoughtful about how to do that i can't speak their language so i'll do as much as i can for them to understand what i'm saying the best way possible and when you're on the stage again you want that as well and you've got to think about how you come across are you going to be one of these speakers that shouts a lot and tells people what they need to do they need to pull themselves together etc are you going to explain it are you going to be lays fair are you going to swear so it's a big decision sometimes some speakers swear and they use it with passion and that can be okay I don't don't get me wrong I do swear in the household you know but uh, not all the time but on the stage I never do I don't think it's necessary and you don't know where that's going to go or, you know, especially with film clips and YouTube, you don't know who could listen to it. So I just yeah, don't think I it's think necessary it at times. There's a, a lady who's been on the show before, Nikki Pattinson. She's a northerner and she swears. And I lost count of in the th first 30 seconds of the show of how many bleeps there were. But people have said that in context to her story, you don't notice it. You notice it immediately, but then you forgive it. So I think it depends on the context of you using different methods. It does, yeah. I know Nikki, she's a friend of mine and initially it is a bit of a shock uh, and then you yeah. kind of get used to it a little bit. However, sometimes you think, oh, I don't know if that was really necessary, but that's her, that's who she is. What frustrates me is I've come across speakers who are very passionate, they've used a, a few swear words and then they say, right, I'm going to use the C word now, okay? No. And then they say the C word. You think, 
don't tell us you're going to do it and then say it because that says that you're in control of what you're saying. So be in control and don't use the C word or the T word or things like that. It really is bizarre how people say things like that. Yeah, but no, and I think, I, guess. I think it's, it's interesting because when you're speaking, you're speaking, you're holding the conversation, you're holding the audience and you're taking them on a journey without it being two way. There is the interaction and responses that you get from an audience, but how do you cope with it just being like a monologue as such oh what like it is now with virtual oh my goodness it's very very challenging so i say that because on virtual you know you can't always see your audience you you can't see their reaction you can't hear them because they've muted themselves and you're literally looking into the camera so it is challenging what's helped me is my confidence knowing that I'm a good speaker I've done it on the stage and when you're doing it on stage you can see them smile you can see them in shock you can hear them laughing at the right times and you hear them clapping and gasping and, and all of that and raising their hand and all sorts of things so I know that I've got that inbuilt inside me so that I know that when I'm doing it virtually they will probably be doing exactly the same individually. And that's really helped me um, because if you were starting out in this game as a professional speaker or as a speaker, then yeah, it'd be really off-putting not knowing whether your jokes are getting laughs or whether people are actually listening or anything like that. So I think it, it comes with feedback and confidence within yourself knowing that you're doing the right thing. But how do you get that confidence if you're just starting out? I don't know. I'm not in that situation at the moment, but the one thing I would do or suggest if anybody's you know, thinking about starting out and speaking or, or not too sure whether they're coming across correctly, is film yourself. It's a big thing that all of us speakers do. We film ourselves, not because we love ourselves. We film ourselves and then we play it back on ourselves and we watch it. And it is, it's hard because you think, why am I doing this? I know what I was like. I've just been there doing it. Why am I watching it? But you will see the little niggles that come out. The times that you say, Earl, or do you touch your ear all the time? Or you repeat yourself. It's really frustrating when you hear speakers that repeat the same thing three times not to get a point across trying to just catch because up where they are in their rehearsed kind of in their monologue. absolutely so yeah I'm, I'm speaking today and i'm really excited about it and i'm going to put something new in and it's making me a little bit nervous because mine is very much scripted and rehearsed it doesn't come across as scripted it comes across as very you know from the heart but I know what I'm saying. So I'm going to put something new in. And this is what you do as a speaker. You're constantly molding it and changing it and adapting it and making it better and better and better. So I'm going to put something in today. And it's making me really nervous. And the, half of me is thinking, Steve, don't, just don't bother. Don't, don't change That's it. Gross. Don't That's the where the growth comes from, though, isn't it? And the nervousness is because you care. When you stop being nervous is, I suppose, the time where you have to think, do I really care what it is that I'm doing? Yeah, no, absolutely. It is about pushing yourself forward all the time and thinking, what more can I do? This came to me last week and I thought, I've really got to put that in. I don't know if I really want to. Yes, I do want to. I really want to. I think it would really help the audience. It will give them another takeaway. I'm going to put it in. So after this podcast, I'm going to do some rehearsals, give myself some confidence boosting, and then I'm going to deliver it uh, later today at five. I'll be your first guinea pig. <laughs> I've obviously got the confidence that the rest of my keynote is, is brilliant. So it will still be a brilliant keynote. And this one little extra thing won't make it terrible, but it'd be nice if people pick up on it because if they do, then I can move forward with it. Feedback comes in various different waves and it was 2019 no beginning of 2020 i did a, a talk and a few people mentioned this one bit in my talk 
And I thought, right, that's really good. I'm going to have to keep going. But they didn't mention this other thing, which I really like. So since then, I've dropped that. Because if they're not remembering it or commenting on it, then maybe I need to drop it. And it's so hard because I really like it. And I, instead, I've just grown this other thing that people are talking about. You've got to listen to the audience. It's not about you, apparently. It's, a, it's about the audience and about what they like and what they get and what their takeaways so are. your keynote is very much based on your journey through life after the car accident and things like that. You've gone on to do some incredible things. Steve, tell us, you know, how did you fall into paratriathlons? My left leg got ripped apart of the knee. My right leg got partially amputated. I had to grow my leg back, basically my right leg, by four inches. I had a cage round it. I had to extend my leg a millimetre a day. Have you? Yeah. Yeah, It's It's horrendous, isn't it? How do you deal with that? It's very much about having a vision. We've talked about visualisation already. My vision was to stand again and to walk again. That's what I wanted. I was passionate about it. As a human being, I wanted to stand again. I'm six foot one. So, you know, sat in a wheelchair, I didn't want that. So that's what drove me forward every day. Your knees would be up by your shoulders. It wouldn't be a good one. No, no, it wouldn't. Not, Not really. I had to twist bolts on that cage every single day, lengthening my leg bit by bit, stretching the skin and the muscle and the ligaments. But when I got to that stage, I then had to grow my leg, I had to grow my bone. So there was no bone in the gap, which is bizarre. To grow bone, you had to stand on my leg, even though there was no bone in it, and just trust this cage that's holding it together. So to do all of that, you can imagine the mind over matter, but it's about having that vision again. What are you doing this for? Why are you pushing yourself through this pain? Because I want this goal that I've set myself to stand on it, to walk on it, to do all the physio, to do the rehabilitation. So when the cage came off, I was able to stand and walk. I thought I'd be back to normal. That was my goal. I want to be back to normal. And I realized that at that stage, I was very different to what I was before the accident. My left leg had got limited movement and feeling. My right leg, my ankle was pretty much solid. I had so much pain. And I realized then that there is no such thing as normal. And it's a big message that I talk about that there's no such thing as normal. And you've got to stop comparing yourself to others, to your friends, to your families, to celebrities. Everybody's different. And I realized that I had to start thinking about what I could do rather than what I couldn't do. So I started doing being very active. I always had this passion that I didn't want the accident to have had a detrimental effect on my life. That's what I was running away from. I want, but my goal was to get find out what I could do. So I, I started swimming. I started cycling, setting myself goals in those sports and pushing forward just for charity. And then I was looking for another event. And I found this thing called a power triathlon, swim, bike and run. Now, I hadn't run for seven and a half years. That had been stolen from me because of the accident. And I went down to get um, vetted because it was a power triathlon, so triathlon for disabled people. And they assessed me and they said, Steve, you know, can you run? And I said, not yet. I didn't have a goal for that. My goal was to swim in the cycle. Now I had a goal to complete this triathlon in any way, in any hook or crook, you know, even just walking around. And so I said, I will try. And I I set off and I can remember, you know, running for the first time, my my brain knew what to do, but my legs couldn't quite keep up. And I was looking down and I was running again and just smiling and looking down at my legs and just thinking, this is amazing. But the thing is, I was in so much pain once I'd stopped the running, not while I was running because of the adrenaline, the endorphine, But when I stopped running, that's when the pain hit. And so the next day I couldn't run. And so I thought about what I could do rather than what I couldn't do. And I swam. And the day after that, I still couldn't run. So I cycled. And the day after that, the pain has subsided. So I ran again because I love to run. 
And that was my training montage that took me all the way up to the first triathlon in 2009. It was a British Championships. It was down at a local lake. We did this, uh, you know, meeting the other power triathletes was amazing. These people had missing legs, missing arms, visually impaired or completely blind doing a triathlon. So we, we set off, the horn goes off, we do the swim, we do the bike. On the run section, I'm running around 5K now. My legs are you know, working as hard as they can. And I can see there at the sidelines, you know, everybody cheering me on. My mum was there, my brother, my sister, they were standing up, they were waving their hands. And I ran through that finish line, you know, running away, like I said, running away from the accident, running away from the pain, the discomfort that I had, but running towards that finish line. And crossing that line was just absolutely amazing. And people have asked me, what does it feel like? Because I, on that day, I became British champion. And what it felt like, it felt like a relief. You know, a relief after all that, the heartache that I've been through, the rehabilitation and the training and the torment and the pain that I put myself through. It, it was a real finish line for me. But there lies the next part of the story because that was my visualization to succeed in that. But somebody came up to me and said, Steve, you're British champion. They said, would you like to represent Great Britain? And I said, hell yeah, I would love to represent Great Britain. The thing is, there's opportunities around us all the time. You've got to see them. You've got to hear them. And, and when you do, you've got to do something about it and grab hold of them with both hands. You've got to take action and move yourself forward. And so that's what I was willing to do. And so I had to set new goals and new visions. Steve, I'm sitting here, I've got goosebumps a little bit because just to be able to almost stick your fingers up at what had happened and say, I beat that and what's next? Bring it on. I'm a big action girl. You know, people will sit around me and talk about different things and I'll listen and that's fine. I think that's a good thing to do. But if they start talking about the same thing again, I get frustrated. So I have to start taking action because it's clear that they're not. So, you know, if my family, for example, say to me, I'd quite like to go and watch, um, you know, hairspray at the theatre, I've booked the tickets because there's no point in having that I'd like to. There's nothing stopping us from doing it other than somebody taking action. And I think that's really important. So from all of those different things going on and representing Great Britain, I mean, some of the conversations that you must have had, not just with yourself, but with other people who are perhaps worrying that you're taking on too much, you know, must have been fraught, must have been challenging. But it's like I ask everybody that comes on the show, there's got to be one conversation that created a turning point for you. Is there one that sticks in your mind on the journey that you've been on, Steve? The one that jumped into my mind is when I was in the rehabilitation. I'd just gone to the hospital, they'd done the first operation and I'd come out and I'd woken up, opened my eyes and that's when the surgeon came over to me and he said, how are you feeling? And I said, I feel terrible. I feel really groggy. He says, I just want to let you know, Mr. Judge, that we managed to save your legs the best we could, but I'm afraid with the severity of your injuries, you may never walk again. And those are the words I heard and, and it, it's horrible. And I think at that stage, it's very much a fight or flight in the sense that the flight would have been for me to just roll over in bed and give in and say, okay, I guess I'll never walk again. But there's, there was something inside me, some anger, some fire that said, you know, you, who are you? Who are you to tell me that I may never walk again? 
I always say that anger is a good thing as long as you use it correctly. Impatience is a good thing as long as you use it correctly. And that was a, a turning point for me to really push forward and prove him wrong, prove the surgeon wrong. And I've used that throughout. And there's, you know, there's been times when I was competing as an elite athlete and I wanted to become a world champion. I remember one conversation, we're having an argument with my partner and she said, I hope you lose. And that again, just like, just tore me apart but eventually I picked myself up and I would prove her wrong. And I went out to Beijing and I competed there against athletes from around the world. And I became a world champion. And again, you know, it's, it's running down yeah, that home straight. I've got straight. a feeling I was watching you because I was having my, I'd had my daughter that year. It was just Olympics oh, really? for, the, for the whole <laughs> of, you know, those first few months. So yeah, I've got a little alarm bell going. Wendy, you were watching that. It's when somebody says that I can't do something that's what lights my fire in a way or ignites it. I get very angry and passionate. Let's talk about what's going on at the moment with the pandemic and COVID-19. It's trying to close me down. It's trying to stop my business. I'm a speaker. I go to face-to-face -face meetings, big conferences with hundreds of thousands of people. Not anymore because of COVID-19. That really makes me angry and frustrated, but I will not quit. I will not give in. I will do it virtually. I will work on my workshops for goal setting and goal achieving. I'll work on my one-to-one ones. I do an e-learning course. I will do anything and everything to make sure that my business is still alive and presenting online. I'll do that and I'll do it even better. I'm doing it now with sound effects and props and all sorts. Yeah, you phrased it as I will do anything to work on my business. In actual fact, what you're doing is far deeper seated than that. It is making sure that you keep that flame lit. It's that passion that you have in terms of helping people and being able to reach people that keeps your business going. Yeah. And that's what people kind of forget sometimes. It's not about necessarily keeping the business going. It's like what drives you, isn't it? It's, it's my why. My why is very much to, to help people to experience the happiness and the fulfillment of achieving their true life goals. But put another way, it frustrates the hell out of me when people don't achieve their self-actualization. These are the type of people where you say, how are you? How, how's your job? And they go, ah, so-so, job to job. How's your relationship? Yeah, that's okay. How's your health? You know, it's okay. That's wrong. It should be brilliant, fantastic, awesome. Why is it not? What are you not doing? I want to help those people to make their lives better, to find out what they really want, find out what their passion, their fire is, and then give them the tools to actually help them to achieve it and achieve their self-actualization in this world. I went through a life-changing experience because my car accident. And I think that woke me up to, we do only get one life. I was very much about goal setting before and doing things and keeping fit and healthy. But I think the accident has emphasized everything. Now I really want to go full throttle, full throttle becoming world champion, full throttle becoming an entrepreneur and helping other people, being a speaker, professional speaker, international speaker. What more can I do in this world? I, you know, somebody said, have you got a book? And I said, no. So I set that as a goal. I've now written my own book. I'm now an author of a best-selling book. The book is called Don't Lean on Your Excuse because this is what a lot of people do and I want to help them to instead turn those excuses into challenges and move forward. And despite the situation that we're in currently, you know, it is that fight or flight. I know for myself last year, everything fell through the floor and I just knuckled down, got a best-selling book. Now I've got a podcast. I'm able to talk to inspirational people like you, Steve. This is what we do, is we make the best of a terrible situation and hopefully in light of what we're doing that we help others along the way. Yeah, and that's what I really want to do. So, you know, if I can help anybody 
this is what I really want to do. And it's up to them to, to ask for help. And I know that's not the easiest First thing, step. but if you are wanting help, please do it. There's various ways you can contact me. I've got a website, www.steve-judge.co.uk. But more than that, social media. I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm everywhere. LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. There really are no excuses to lean on if you want to contact me. Please do. And let's see if I can help you out. Because I'm sure I will. All of that six foot one has got enough inches there to support everybody. Do get in touch with him, please. Steve, it's been an absolute delight to listen to your story and to be able to chat with you about your experiences. Make sure you go to the podcast page, makingconversationscount.studio forward slash podcast and hit the follow button. Every Thursday will be a new guest landing into your favourite platform so that you don't miss an episode ever. And if this is your first time, do go back and listen to previous guests. There are some fantastic conversations where business leaders really do sink back into what has happened for them and how they've overcome things. Make sure you follow makingconversationscount.studio forward slash podcast. You've been listening to Wendy Harris, best-selling author and trainer of 30 years. And next week... A lot of the businesses that I work with are okay with it. They're okay with failure. It's down to the people to be okay with it. And the culture enables that. See you next week.